Good morning, New Branch family. I hope that you are doing well. Um, here we are again, joining uh, one another on this uh, virtual platform. Uh, we had hoped this morning to film everyone together at the church building, but earlier this week, one of my children uh, had a fever, and so again, out of an abundance of caution, we decided to do it separately, uh, just to do our best to keep everybody safe and not spread any kind of sickness around. We're thankful that uh, our children seem fine now and uh, everybody's doing well in our homes. We're thankful for that. Also, I know last week Pastor Ken uh, had some coughing going on. I just want you to know that uh, me preaching today is not related to that at all. This was planned in advance and uh, he's healthy and doing well. So uh, I just want to make that clear as well. So here we are. I'm, I'm in, uh, in my home uh, filming this. Thank you, Bob and Scott and Jonathan, for uh, filming uh, at the church, doing the music and uh, prayer and announcements there. And I look forward to the time that we can all worship together in the same room and, and uh, see one another and be together and hear one another sing uh, the great truths of the gospel. Uh, but this morning we're going to continue on in Genesis chapter 25, and so in just a moment we'll read from there, and we're going to look at the first 18 verses of Genesis 25. But let me begin this way. There are two kinds of people in the world. There are those who love to get up early, morning people, and then there are those who hate them. There are Squeeze the tube of toothpaste from the bottom of the tube, like everybody should, by the way. And then there are those who squeeze the tube of toothpaste from the middle. There are those who hit the snooze button and those who don't. And have you ever noticed that those who hit the snooze button, they always have to hit it like 5, 10, maybe 15 times? I've never understood that. You could have all that time of uninterrupted sleep, but I digress. There are those who say soda, and then there are those who call all soft drinks Coke. There are two kinds of people. There are those who use bookmarks, and then there are those who grievously dog-ear the pages of the book. There are two kinds of people. There are those who fill up the gas tank when they get to the halfway point uh, on the gauge, and then there are those who see the gas light as a challenge. Let me see how many miles I can drive with this gas light on. Now, we're just having a little bit of fun by saying there are two kinds of people. We know that everybody doesn't neatly fit into those two categories, and we could go on and on and have some fun with that. But in reality, the text in front of us this morning makes it very clear that everyone falls into one of two groups. There are those of faith in the covenant-keeping God, Yahweh, of the Bible, who has been revealing himself to Abraham as we've been studying the life of Abraham here in Genesis and then there are those who don't, who walk. They have faith, but they have faith in something else. Faith in themselves, faith in, in the things of this world, but, but not children of promise, not people of faith in the covenant-keeping God. And so it, this passage before us this morning makes it very clear that everybody falls into one of two categories, those who belong to the Lord and those who don't, those who walk by faith, trusting Him, and those who don't. And so with that in mind, let's look this morning. We're going to read uh, verses 7 through 11 together. It's kind of the heart of this passage. So we'll read those few verses together, and then we'll look at the entirety of the passage, verses 1 through 18, in just a moment. So read God's Word with me, beginning in verse 7 of chapter 25. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, 
an old man full of years and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Magpalai in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with his wife, Sarah, and after the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and settled, and Isaac settled in the land of Beer Larahoi. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask that during this time, as we look at your word together, that you would use it for your glory and for our good. Father, that you would use it to build up your saints, those who are your children, build us up more and more in the image of Christ and lead us to see that that your word is more trustworthy than we even realized before and that we should respond to it in faith and that you would strengthen our faith. Father, we pray that you would use this time uh, even uh, for those who... um, who have not looked to Christ in faith yet, who are not your children. Father, you would use this time to, to make them your children. They would hear your word and they would respond in faith and in belief. We pray that that would be true for our children who would listen, we, uh, who are listening with us, and those who uh, are listening in that, that don't know Christ. And Lord, we pray there would even be those who would just stumble across, so to speak, this, uh, this video feed this morning, and they would uh, stop and pause and by the leading of your Holy Spirit, and they would listen and hear, and they would delight in the word and be saved. So, Father, we pray for that. We pray for sanctification of the saints and for salvation of those who don't know you through this time. Use it for your glory. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Well, here we've looked at kind of the heart of the passage, but let me back up. And uh, what we've done this morning, since we don't have PowerPoint uh, doing it the way we're doing it this morning, we've attached a outline to your email this morning that went out. So if you like to take notes or if an outline helps, Turn your attention uh, there, and you can look along uh, as we move through uh, this sermon together. It's just a skeletal outline that you can make notes on. But I've broken this passage down in in two sections. Uh, The first section is the Father of Nations, and that's going to look at verses 1 through 6 and 12 through 18. Uh, And then the second part of the passage is what we just read, verses 7 through 11. That's the death of God's friend. So let's look at the Father of Nations first. We see in uh, verse 1 of chapter 25, Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. And so, uh, a couple things. First, uh, there are two primary options, it seems, uh, two primary positions uh, on this uh, here when we look at this section, especially verse 1 with Keturah. Here, the passage tells us that Abraham took a wife whose name was Keturah. In Chronicles, it refers to Keturah again as a concubine there. And so, uh, what's going on here? When did this happen? Let me just lay out the the two primary views. The first view, some would see that since this passage is not necessarily in chronological order, that Abraham took uh, Keturah as a wife and fathered these sons even before Sarah died. And uh, there is warrant in the the text that we'd understand that it's not necessarily in chronological order. We have to understand that the ancient Near Eastern culture was not as concerned about chronological order as we are, uh, as Westerners, uh, that the the purpose that Moses is doing here in laying this story out this way is that he's showing us that Abraham's life came to a close, and he's showing us all of his descendants, those who came through Keturah and those who came through Hagar, through Ishmael and his sons that we'll look at in the second part of that passage, and then Isaac. And as one commentator said, uh, those who, all but Isaac, are going to bow quickly and Isaac, Isaac, exit, I can't say that, exit the stage 
And then we're going to focus on Isaac and his line moving forward through Jacob and uh, through uh, um, his 12 sons later as we conclude the whole book of Genesis. And um, so we see that it's not moving in chronological order. For instance, later in the passage that we'll see in the next week or the following week, we see that uh, um, Isaac's two sons, Jacob and Esau, were born when he uh, was 60. And uh, so if they were born when Isaac was 60, it would indicate with Abraham dying at 175 years old that he would have been alive 15 years after the birth of Jacob and Esau. So we see that this isn't moving in chronological order. So some would see as a result of that that um, Abraham uh, married Keturah or took her as a wife and fathered these children before Sarah died. I would take the second view. The second view is uh, that the wording, Abraham took another wife, the way this is laid out, would indicate that this happened after Sarah's death, that he took this wife, using that specific of language that Moses did in writing this, that he took another wife and uh, after Sarah had died and that he fathered these children in his old age. And so uh, that's the view that I would hold. If you disagree, I'm okay with that. And uh, so we would see uh, that this is what's going on. Now, what is it that Moses is pointing out here and that God is pointing out here in his word? What he's pointing out here is that he keeps his promises. What we see is back in Genesis 17:5. Uh, God told Abraham, you will father a multitude of nations. And, and what we're seeing here in verses 1 through 6 and 12 through 18 of this chapter is that Abraham literally, physically fathered nations. Um, <clears throat> so we see that through Keturah's sons. Verse 2, she bore him Zimran, Joksran, Medan, Midian, Ishbot, and Shua. And so, uh, and then it goes on from there to talk about the descendants of each of those sons. And I'll spare you the pain of trying to hear me uh, read and pronounce all of those names. And so what we're seeing is that, that Abraham literally physically fathered nations and that, that God made good on his promise. And then in verses 12 through 18, we see that God kept his promise regarding Ishmael. If you back up again to Genesis 17, verse 20, there when Abraham pleaded with God, let, let the blessing just remain on Ishmael. And God said, no, Isaac will be the child of promise. But in that, in verse 20, this is what God told Abraham uh, as uh, during that exchange. He says, as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly, and he shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. And then that promise is reiterated again in uh, Genesis 21.3 when Abraham is told to dismiss Ishmael and Hagar. And so what we're seeing here is that God does, in fact, make good on his promises. It says in verse 12, these are the generations of Ishmael. Ishmael, Abraham's son, with Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, named in the order of their birth. And then it proceeds to go from there and names all 12 sons. And then you can look at um, verse 16. It says, these are the sons of Ishmael. And these are the names by their villages and by their encampments, 12 princes according to their tribes. And then you can look at verse 17. Uh, these are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. And so we're seeing two things. We're seeing that, that God made good on his promise to Abraham, that Abraham literally physically fathered nations. We're seeing that God made good on his promise to Ishmael as well. And that through Ishmael came 12 princes and tribes. 
through him. And so uh, we're seeing, once again, as we have seen this theme reoccur over and over and over through Genesis, that God is a faithful, covenant-keeping God. God always makes good on his promises. And then there's something else I want you to notice uh, from these two sections before we turn to that kind of central section. It's, it's what's leading up right up to verse 7, the, the two verses preceding verse 5 and verse 6. Notice what Abraham does. In verse 5 it says, excuse me, <clears throat> in verse 5 it says, Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. Verse 6, but to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. Now, what we're seeing here is that Abraham gives the full inheritance to Isaac. That, that Abraham recognizes from Genesis 17:21 when God told him, no, no, Abraham, Isaac is going to be the child of promise. Abraham is responding to that in faith and that he is giving the full inheritance before he dies to Isaac. He's giving gifts and provisions to his other sons and his the, dismissing them away. And it's really reminiscent of what we saw back in Genesis 21 as Ishmael and Hagar were dismissed. And it seems that Abraham is responding in faith, saying, Yes, I believe the Lord that Isaac is the promised child. Everything will come through him. So he gives the full inheritance to him. He gives provision to his other sons, dismisses them uh, as a way to mitigate, to prevent in uh, any shape, form, or fashion this sibling rivalry that could come as a result if they remain together. And so we see that Abraham's actions are a response to God's word in faith. <clears throat> That's important and it's going to be affirmed by God himself in just a moment as we look at the next section, verses 7 through 11. Excuse me. <clears throat> verses, <clears throat> verses 7 through 11, the death of God's friend. So let's look at those verses now. It says, These are the days and the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. And it says that he lived to a good old age, and he was a man full of old, an old man full of years, and was gathered to his people. See in verse 9 that Isaac and Ishmael uh, came uh, to bury their father, and he was buried there in Magpillai, where uh, Abraham had purchased the land, and Sarah was buried there also. And so that's even reemphasized here that he was buried with his wife Sarah. We see Isaac and Ishmael there. It reminds us of what we'll see in the future uh, with Isaac. Uh, uh, with Isaac himself, when he dies, that his two sons, Jacob and Esau, although they're at strife with one another, uh, they come back together for the burial and they bury their father together. This uh, is reminiscent of that, or or that will be reminiscent of this, I guess we should say, when we read <clears throat> forward in our study. And so here we have Isaac and Ishmael there. They bury Abraham. And then I want you to notice something else. It says, verse 11, After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac his son, and Isaac settled at Beer Larahoy. Uh, so we have, um, <clears throat> we have here God's um, blessing or affirmation on Abraham's action. Uh, here is Abraham gave his full inheritance to Isaac. 
gifts to the other sons, dismiss them. Here we have Isaac, I mean, God himself, after Abraham's death, blessing Isaac. And it's an affirmation of Abraham's uh, former actions before his death, saying that, yes, Abraham had rightly responded in faith and had done the right thing. Now, there's a couple, there's one more thing before we move forward from this that I, that I want us to notice, and it's this. That, that God promised to Abraham in Genesis 15, 15, that he would live to a good old age and die in peace. Once again, God has kept his promise. Abraham lived 175 years, an old man full, uh, full of, um, of life, full of years, it says, uh, to a good old age and died. And so God made good on that promise. He kept his promise to Abraham, and then, but at the same time, we need to notice something else. There's something else that's going on here as this chapter is closing out, and I'm going to use that that language very uh, uh, for a reason. That that specific language. This chapter of Abraham's life is coming to a close, but God's story is going to continue to to move forward. It's going to continue on. So notice what uh, theologian Alan Ross says uh, in his work on Genesis. He says, no one is indispensable in God's program. Good people die and others take up the task to continue God's program. Here we have Abraham, the giant of the faith, and his life has come to an end. He has died. Uh, What we're noticing from this passage is is something that we referenced earlier in the in the beginning of the sermon. Remember how we said there are two kinds of people. There are those who are God's children are promised by faith, and then there are those who are not. They're they're trusting in something else besides God. They they don't they're not God's children because they don't respond to him in faith. Um but what we're seeing is although everyone falls into one of those two categories, there's no in between or or something else. What we're seeing is, is that they all share a common experience. They all share a common experience. We're seeing that here in this passage, that, that they all share the delight of, of family and birth. Uh, they all share um, the enjoyment of that, those, those moments in life, those tender moments, those sweet moments uh, of, of family, of, of birth, of marriage. And they all share those heartaches of, of sickness and trial and ultimately death. They, they all share those things, and Abraham himself, what we know is that, that all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, that because of our rebellion against the Holy God, we all are guilty, is what Romans tells us. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Because of that, that death is the sentence, that death has come upon us, even Abraham. So Abraham is not God's uh, one of God's people because he was perfect or because he was better than others or because he... He lived the, the, um, a standard that God approved of and made him his person. No, God called him and made him, and Abraham responded in faith. That's how we become one of God's people, uh, by hearing God's word, just as we're hearing this morning, and responding in faith and believing God and trusting him and living in light of that faith. And so so this is, this is it. We see they have this common experience, but even Abraham, this giant of the faith, is facing death. Now, we'll see in a moment there's hope in that for those who belong to the Lord, who are, who are his children by faith. But what we need to recognize right now is that this great giant of the faith, his chapter has closed. His life has come to an end. But God's story is going to continue to move forward. And we'll come back to that in a moment. 
So we are mainly seeing, once again, that God keeps his promises. We've seen over and over there's just several parts of this, uh, these verses, these 18 verses, where God has kept specific promises back in Genesis 15 and 17, Genesis 21, where God has made those promises, he's kept them here, and he's marked it in his words so that we know. Uh, once again, as always, God is faithful and keeps his promises, and he's worthy of our faith and worthy of our trust and worthy of our worship. So we're seeing that. Now, before we move on from this passage and, and go forward in Genesis, I think there's three major exhortations that I put there on your outline as well that we need to think about uh, before we move on. And the first one is, uh, let's move a little bit further and think a little bit more about the fact that death is ahead of us all. That death is ahead of us all. As we see Abraham, the, 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 the father of the faith, if you will, the, the, this giant of the faith, uh, his life comes in and he dies. It is a humbling thing that reminds us that we too will die. We too will face death. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, Teach me to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom. Uh, the psalmist recognized uh, in verse 10, he says, you know, what are the years of a man? 70 or 80, uh, if, if, there is, <clears throat> if there's the blessing of life, that, that life is somewhere around there. For most people, 70 to 80 years, if they live a full life, and we're not guaranteed that. And the psalmist goes through and, and he says, Lord, let us, let us know, let us learn to number our days. Let us learn to know that, that as much as, even especially in our culture, as we want to uh, pretend that death is not there and ignore it and ignore it and ignore it and ignore it until we absolutely have to face it, until we're staring it in the face. And we want to separate ourselves from it as much as possible. It's almost taboo. We can't even talk about it. Um, that as much as we try to do that, God's Word instructs us to do the very opposite. It says, teach us to number our days, to recognize that we are mortal, to recognize that we will come to an end, and that in light of that, we can gain a heart of wisdom. And wisdom is what? It's the right application of knowledge, taking God's Word and, and now knowing how to apply it to our lives and how to live in a way that honors the Lord. And so we're called to do this. And as we see the death of Abraham, we should, we should allow it to humble us. And the question is, are we ready for death? As I said a moment ago, Abraham had hope, even though he came to death. For those who, who trust the Lord, for those who are children of faith, children of the promise by faith, that even as they face death, they face it in hope. And we see that in this passage. Let me read to you something from N. DeGuid, uh, a scholar, and his writing on this part of Abraham's life as his life comes to an end as he dies. He says this, he still had to die as he lived in faith. We've been, we've been watching, we'll talk a minute, again in a minute about this, about Abraham living by faith. Uh, we've been watching his life fold out and his faith increase and him walk by faith in the Lord. And DeGuid is pointing out that Abraham has to die just as he lived in faith. So the same is true for you and I. We must walk by faith and live by faith, but we also, as God's children, will die in faith. Now, Indiquid goes on to say this. He says that the promises uh, of God to Abraham, they had been fulfilled. Those promises had been fulfilled, but listen to what he says. Listen to the nuance he gives. It's so helpful. However, they had only begun to be fulfilled. He says, alongside the promises of descendants and peace, we've seen those two things in his passage, right? That Abraham had, had many descendants already, and he died uh, a man full of years, and he died in peace, 
He said, alongside those promises, there stood the promise of land, a dwelling place for those descendants. But Abraham, like Sarah, died in possession of no more of the promised land than he needed for his burial. He had to die in faith, not yet having received the fullness of the promise. Do you see that? Indigwid is pointing out that Abraham had these promises, and alongside those promises that were fulfilled that we see here in this passage before he died, we also notice that these promise, the promise of land for these descendants to live in, uh, and specifically for Isaac and his descendants to live in, uh, had not yet come to the fullness, fulfillment. Uh, it had begun, so theologians would call the already not yet. It's already begun to be realized, but not yet fully realized. We see that even here. We can see it all over the place in Scripture, and we see it here that Abraham, as Pastor Ken uh, uh, preached on several weeks ago, uh, purchasing the land for Sarah to be buried in, uh, he purchased a parcel of this land in the promised land, and he's buried there, but it's no more than enough for a burial site. But it's the beginning of that promise. And so Abraham's died, not yet fully realizing that promise, and he's buried in faith, in promise. Now, brothers and sisters, New, New Testament Christian, you and I know this very well. We know this same reality. That, that we, too, are going to live by faith but must die in faith. That, that we are children of our father Abraham by faith, Galatians 3, 7. And that his reality of, of life and death speaks also to our reality of life and death, that we will live in faith and we must, too, die in faith. And that God's promises have begun to be fulfilled in us, but we don't yet fully realize the fullness of those promises. We see this in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You and I have been made new. Uh, so we have been freed. Uh, the end of that passage, 2 Corinthians 5, that he made him who knew no sin be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so, so we recognize we've been justified. We, we have the, those promises are, are coming to pass in our life that, that although before we were guilty, that Christ took our sin, it was placed on him, he bore the sin, and he placed his righteousness on us. And so his work of perfect life, atoning death, and victory over sin and death is accredited to us. So we know that reality. That's ours in justification. Uh, so we've been freed from the penalty of sin. We've been freed from the power of sin. Romans chapter 6, that it has no more dominion over us, yet we still wrestle with the presence of sin. We can see that in Romans 7 and all the way through in Romans 8, Romans 8, 13, that by the Spirit we must mortify sin, this indwelling sin that we wrestle. So, so we have known the, the beginning of those promises and that reality in our life, but we don't yet know the fullness of those promises. And so just as Abraham, uh, just as one more example, specifically related to this text, as Abraham was buried and died in faith and was buried in promise, so you and I will die in faith and will be buried in promise. Notice what 1 Thessalonians 4, 14 says. Paul's writing the church at Thessalonica to encourage them about believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, who have died um, before them. And, and they're, they're apparently asking the question, what's, what's happened to them? What's their reality? And this is what Paul says. He says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, that's our hope, that's our anchor, that Jesus died and rose again, all right? This is what he says. Even so, 
through Jesus, God will bring those who have fallen asleep with him. And fallen asleep means death, uh, because for the Christian, death is like sleep. We'll be woken up from sleep to the resurrection, the fullness of resurrection. And uh, so, so we see that. We, we see that, that we are buried in promise. We're buried in the promise that Christ Jesus has already defeated sin and death on our behalf, and we too will be raised with a resurrection like his. Paul's saying that right here in 1 Thessalonians 4.14. He says it even more explicitly in 1 Corinthians 15.21. He, he gives this long uh, exposition, if you will, this long theology of the resurrection to the church at Corinth because they are completely misunderstanding it. And uh, the chapter is 58 verses. It's a, it's a long section. In the near the middle of that chapter, this is what he says. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He says, Christ has been raised, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, let me see if we can illustrate this in a way that's been helpful to me. Uh, we saw in Jesus' earthly ministry that he raised people from the dead. We saw that with Jairus' daughter in Mark 5. We see it with Lazarus in John chapter 11. And what Jesus was doing in, in those miracles, he was showing that he had the power over death. That he was, uh, that he could deliver us even from death, and it was a picture ultimately of his own resurrection to come. Now, something is distinctively different about his resurrection. With Lazarus and Jairus' daughter, it says though they entered in the death, and we pictured death as a tunnel. They entered in to the entrance, and then Jesus called them back out of the entrance because we know this because they would die again, right? They physically lived and they had to die again. Uh, later on in life. But Jesus' death is, is completely different. Uh, those were, were shadows pointing to this ultimate reality to come that we saw in the resurrection of Christ. Jesus went to the cross. He bore our sins. He lived a perfect life. Death had no claim on him. He, he, went, he lived that perfect life, but he went to the cross and bore the wrath reserved for us that was ours because of our sin, took our punishment, and died, taking the penalty of death. He didn't have to die because the wages of sin is death. Well, Jesus had no sin, but he bore our sin. He died. But he paid that penalty fully, and death had no more hold on him. There was no more death left to be paid. And on the third day, God raised him, Romans 4, 24, for our justification. So with Jesus, if we go back to that picture of the tunnel, it says, though he went into the tunnel, he didn't come back out of the entrance. No, friends, he came out the other side victorious over sin and death. Praise be to God. We celebrate that every Sunday, every day, and especially this coming Sunday for Easter. And so we know that Christ has defeated both sin and death. And that's what Paul is, is saying here. And he's actually using this agricultural metaphor to say that, that Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, if somebody gave you some seeds and you planted them, you didn't know what they were and you planted them. And what came from those seeds were carrots, I'll just say that. And so what came from those seeds, the, the first thing that sprouted up was carrots. Well, if, if you didn't know what the seeds were, but you knew they were all the same, what's going to come to follow that? That's the first fruits. Well, more carrots to come, right? Well, that's what Paul's saying here with Jesus. Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Use this language again. For death for them will be like sleep, just like it was for Jairus' daughter, Talitha, Kumai, little girl, baby girl, get up. He spoke to her in this term of endearment, and he said, he said, get up, for death for him was like sleep. He had power over it. It was like waking a child. And so here, 
Jesus, uh, Paul is saying for Je- with Jesus, he's the first fruits. He has entered in the death. He's come out the other side victorious. And we will be raised with a resurrection like that. Paul goes on to say what's sown perishable would be raised imperishable. So these frail, sin-broken bodies will be raised uh, with sin-free bodies, free of the penalty of sin, free of the, of the blight of sin, free of the curse of sin. We will be raised with immortal, imperishable bodies, and they will be outfitted and suited for the glory of God so that we can dwell in His presence, and there will be no more indwelling sin. There will be, we'll be free on that day, not only from the penalty and the power of sin, but from the presence of sin, and we will dwell in God's presence forevermore. Friends, that is good news. We live by faith. We must die in faith, and remember, we are buried in promise that God will raise us on the last day. So, because he is a God who is faithful, we can, in fact, die as we live in faith. So, let the death of Abraham humble us to know and be reminded we're all coming to an end at some point. But let it also encourage us that just as Abraham was buried in promise, so we are buried in promise. Uh, that we will be raised on the last day. So, that's the first exhortation. Death awaits us all. It's ahead of us all. The second one is that God is at work. We won't spend a lot of time on this, but I just want you to to think back. We're coming to the closing of this chapter on Abraham, and we look back over his life, and, and and we can see this progression of faith from when God first called him in Genesis 12 all the way to this point, how God has, has been at work in every circumstance of his life to, to reveal himself as a covenant-keeping, trustworthy God and to build Abraham's faith more and more in God so that he responds more and more in faith. You see this from the times that he lied about Sarah being his sister instead of his wife because he was fearful. We see this uh, with the plan that he and Sarah come up with Hagar for Ishmael, uh, how they um, their faith is lacking, but all the way to the point to where when we get to uh, God saying, hey, Abraham, you need to dismiss Ishmael. And he says, no, let the promise be on him. That Abraham responds in faith to the very point when Isaac comes and God calls him to sacrifice Isaac. Abraham gets up. And he goes. He just gets, He just trusts the Lord. He, I'm sure he's absolutely perplexed. What is God up to and what is he going to do? Friends, we often are perplexed as Christians. But we still must respond in faith. And I love that Abraham got up and he went trusting the Lord. God will provide. God will, I trust him. I don't understand what he's doing, but I trust him. And we see that. We see that God was at work in all the circumstances all the way through. You can just go and read those sections of scripture again to refresh your memory. And see how God was building his faith. Christian, be encouraged this morning as we look at the end, the closing of this chapter in Abraham's life, that the Lord is at work through all the circumstances in our life, even those mundane circumstances of of this morning getting up and tomorrow getting up and trying to to get your day started, working from home, uh, helping the kids get started on schoolwork or or homeschooling the kids or looking for a job if you've lost a job or, or, or even battling some sickness if you're battling sickness. In all circumstances, the Lord is at work forming us and molding us more and more and building our faith. Let us be encouraged by that in every season, and especially even in this season that we're in right now. That is the whole reason why you're having to watch me on a screen and I'm having to preach to a camera for the first time in my life. We are in a unique season, but don't forget God is at work. God is at work. 
He's at work if you're filled with sorrow during this season. He's at work if you're filled with boredom during this season. He's at work if you're filled with, with heartache because of sickness or if you're struggling with a trial because of, of work, um, uh, not having any work or your work being reduced and it's infecting, affecting your income and your ability uh, to meet your needs. God is, God is at work in all that to build your faith and to show himself as a trustworthy God. Let's be encouraged that God is at work. And then the final exhortation that I really want us to see is that God's kingdom is forever. I love the way Luther ends his hymn, The Mighty Fortress is Our God. You know, the, the body they may kill, God's word abideth still. His kingdom is forever. His kingdom will go on forever. So the question is, are you investing in your kingdom or the Lord's kingdom? Because this is what Abraham does. Remember his actions? Remember his actions right there before his death that, that God points out in his word here? is that Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. He, 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 he invested in Isaac. He put everything there because he knew from, from what God had told him, this is the child of promise. This is where, where the promises will come through. He provided for his other sons and he dismissed them to try to create as, as best he could an environment where there wouldn't be sibling rivalry and interference. Abraham didn't just think about his life, but he thought about the generations ahead of him and God's work going forward. Isn't that amazing? So the question is, are we investing in our kingdom or God's kingdom? And if you would say you're investing in God's kingdom, are you only thinking about it in relation to you and your life now? Are you thinking about future generations? Are you thinking about those who will come after you? God's kingdom is forever. Listen, let me quote from, once again, in DeGuid. And listen to what he says about Abraham here in those actions of giving the inheritance to Isaac. He said, Abraham didn't hedge his bets giving an inheritance to several of his children in case one should die or abandon the faith, he trusted the God who said, it is through Isaac that your offspring shall be reckoned. And acting upon faith, he made provision for his other children and sent them away. See what he's saying? He's saying he didn't hedge bets. He didn't diversify a portfolio. He put all of his eggs in the Isaac basket, so to speak. He said, this is where God has promised, and so everything's going here. Brothers and sisters, God has promised that his kingdom and his work is eternal and forever. Jesus said, store up treasures in heaven and not on earth. What are we living for? That is so convicting, isn't it? What are we living for? Some of our idols, even during this time, may be being revealed to us. Things that we've put too much weight on, too much trust in, too much put too much hope in, too much comfort in. God may be using this time to, 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 to show us those things, to show us how our attention and our focus has been diverted. Uh, brothers and sisters, may we be those who will put all of our eggs, so to speak, in God's kingdom, in that basket. This, this is God's plan, his plan of using the church. Think about Jesus in Matthew 16, uh, that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Now, let us be humbled for a moment. COVID-19, the coronavirus, it, it may put an end to you or I, but it will not end the church. It will not end the church. And, and what we've seen from this passage is it doesn't, corona may not, may not affect any of us physically, and I, and I pray it doesn't. But something will. Our life is coming to an end at some point. But God's church will prevail against sin and death and hell. God will bring His purposes and His, and his uh, to pass 
through the church, the gospel will go forward. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God's purposes will go forward. So how are you investing in the Lord's work beyond your life? Are you seeking to, to raise up the next generation? I love as, as Paul's life is coming to an end there in 2 Timothy, in chapter 4, he says, I've fought the good fight. You know, I've ran the race. He's telling us, my time's coming to an end. Well, prior to that, here's what he told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 2. He says, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach to others. See, Paul's concern is, is that there will be more men who will be preachers of the gospel. Timothy, I want to make sure that, that the gospel has been entrusted to you, that it will be entrusted to others, and they will continue to faithfully preach it. Not, not make up their own message, not rely on their own creativity, but proclaim God's word. Because Paul knows very well, because by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote the words, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. He, he wrote that in Romans, quoting from the Old Testament. He, he understands this. And his, his concern is that there will be those who will continue to preach. We must ensure biblical teaching and preaching in the church. We are blessed to have a church where that is such a priority. Let us not take it for granted. Let us continue to pray that that, that would continue in our church and that thing, nothing would interfere with that, nothing would, would keep that from happening, and that that would continue to move out from our church through missions work, through church planning, as, as some of you will at some point probably move for work and go and, and work a professional job in another community, another state, another county, another country, but that you'll be a part of churches there, and those will be churches where God's Word flourishes in the life of the church. Let's not take it for granted and let us... Uh, labor to see that that happens. Titus 2 speaks of older, the older investing in the younger, specifically older women investing in younger women. Ephesians 4 speaks of speaking the truth in love and building one another up to maturity in Christ. That's specifically verse 15 of Ephesians 4. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, not to forsake gathering together, but that we would stir one another up to love and good works, all the more as we see the day drawing near. Friends, we're not able to physically gather today but just as we're using this technological tool uh, to, to worship together and to hear God's word together, so we can use the technological tools that we have to reach out to one another, to seek. So how is it today, through your base group, through a text message, through a phone call, through a video chat, how is it that you could encourage someone else at New Branch Community Church and stir them up to love and good works? Could you call them and say, hey, are you struggling in anything right now? What, what unique struggles do you have during this season? And as they tell you, uh, be prayerful. Ask God for wisdom. How can you stir them up to be faithful in the, in the midst of difficult circumstances to God and to His Word? Stir them up to love and good works. Well, friends, let's do that. Let's invest in God's kingdom. We just thought about the great hope that we have in the, in the face of death. Looking at 1 Corinthians 15. I love the way Paul ends that chapter. I said it has 58 verses. Verse 58, I love the way he ends it. He, after he unpacks all this glorious truth about the hope that we have in the resurrection, it by no means produces laziness that says, I oh, will just wait for it. We have great hope coming. Let's just sit around and wait for it to come to pass. No, it actually moves us to action is what he says. This is what 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58 says. Therefore, so in light of everything he's just said about the glories of the resurrection, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, 
always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Be steadfast. Stand firm in the gospel. Be immovable. Right? Be steadfast means persevere in the gospel. Continue on. Be immovable means stand firm in Ephesians 6. And always abounding. That means growing, overflowing. That's a beautiful picture. Abounding in the work of the Lord. That's, that's what I want for my life. How about you? That, that we not only be in the work of the Lord, but we abound and overflow in it and excel in it more and more. And then there's this great promise, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What else does the world have to offer if we're honest about the death that awaits us that we can invest our lives in and know that it will not be in vain? There's nothing. Only God's work. And friend, I want you to understand that, that God's work, please don't hear me saying it, is only missionaries and pastors. No, it's a mom loving their kids well. It's a dad loving his kids well. It's a man and wife loving one another well in marriage. It's a single person being faithful to God in the midst of difficulties of singleness. It is uh, you uh, obeying the authorities that are over you, that the Lord has put over you, honoring God in your work as you seek to serve neighbor through your vocation and provide for your family. Paul says whether you eat or drink and everything you do, do it for God's glory. If we do it for Christ in that way, our labor is not in vain. doesn't matter if no one else in the world recognizes it all. God does, and it's not in vain. What glorious truth. But we should be especially um, interested in the work and the ministry of the church, all of us as members of the church, investing in the life of the church, because it's God's plan to bring His promises uh, to their rightful end. Then last, let me just ask you, not, if you're here and you say, you know, I'm not a Christian, I'm listening in. Someone invited me. I've stumbled across this feed, uh, and I've just been listening. Can I just ask you, what hope do you have in death? We're going to face death. We're going to face it. We're seeing it in, in a unique way right now, and it's ugly. It always is ugly. So what hope do you have in that? There is hope in Christ who came, and although you and I, we, we were created by God, and we have sinned and rebelled against Him, sought to be our own gods and live life our own way, maybe through morality of being good, or maybe uh, just throwing off all moral restraint and just trying to forge our own path. Whatever the way, we have sought to live for ourselves. We've rebelled against God, but God created us. The Bible says everyone will die, and after that judgment, God lays claim on us, and we will answer to Him for the life He's given to us. And if we try to answer for ourselves, we will face punishment. We will face judgment, and we cannot stand up under that judgment, but there's good news. God sent Jesus, who lived a perfect life, never failed, never sinned, but went to the cross, took the punishment that we deserve, was raised on the third day victorious over sin and death. For any who would look to Him in faith can be saved, will be saved, for those who trust Him in faith. Friend, this morning, the only hope you can have in death is to cling to Christ. Maybe you're, you're watching, you, you're familiar with New Branch, maybe you're not, but you found us this way, please reach out to us if you have questions about that. Or if you say, you know what, I, I've heard and I believe God's plan is for you to walk with other believers in the church. So, so find on our website our phone number, email, email us, reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. We want to pray with you, read scripture with you, and uh, talk to you about God's plan for your life moving forward. Or if you just have questions about the gospel and why we would say that, that God would judge you and why we would say you need a Savior, we'd love to talk with you about that. So reach out to us. And then last, let me just address the kids. Kids, I want you to understand, I know your life 
feels super long. I hope, kids, are you listening? I'm just messing with you. Stop your drawing for a minute, that kind of thing, if you've been hanging in there, and just listen for one quick minute. So we, we think, I know from your perspective, it seems like life will go on forever. It won't. It won't go on forever. Our lives are coming to an end, just as it did for Abraham. Yet at the same time, not all of Abraham's physical children live by faith. We see that right here in this passage, that they didn't all live by faith. They weren't all God's people just because Abraham was their dad. And what I want you to know is that just because your mom and dad trust Jesus by faith, it doesn't make you a Christian. Even if your grandparents trust, praise God for that. But it doesn't make you a Christian. You yourself have to recognize that you're a sinner, you need a Savior, and that you have to trust Jesus yourself. And so I, I want you to see that from this passage, and I want you to recognize that, and I want you to talk to your mom and dad about that if you have questions. And, and, and I want you to trust Jesus yourself and to recognize that you need a Savior and cling to Him by faith. And the good news is, if you do, He will save you, and He will make you His, and He will bring you all the way to Himself, all the way home. And that He will give you a purpose in life to live for, not just Him as your Savior, but as your Lord. And can I tell you that a king who would step out of heaven to die for you is a king worthy and worth you living for. That's a king you can follow. That's a king you can trust. So you live for Him just like you see mom and dad living for him, and, and you trust him as your Savior and Lord, just as you see mom and dad trusting him as their Savior and Lord. We all need Christ. Well, brothers and sisters in the church, uh, again, we lament we can't be together. I love you. I'm so thankful for our time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would use it to accomplish your purposes and to nourish us according to your plan and for your glory. Be with each and every person with the challenges that they face uh, during this time and, uh, and give us grace to live for your glory. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.